You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about Grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. All right, so we're back in the book of John today. Um, If you have your Bible, I would love for you to open it. Uh, We're going to be in John chapter 5. The title of this story, there's a title in my Bible. The title is, Jesus Heals a Lame Man by a Pool. I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> Let's just see. Y'all ready? All right, here we go. John chapter 5. Sometime later, I guess the time wasn't really important, just sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Well, there was one who had been there, an invalid, for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he leaned over. The man had been in this condition for a long time, and Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? That's a good question. That's a a sermon to itself. Do you want to get well? Sir, this invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone goes ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you from carrying your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well, he said, pick up my mat. So I did it. Then they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. Oh, I love this story. This is a good one. I love John anyway, but I really, really, really like this story in John. I think there's so much going on, and we're going we're gonna to dissect it here a little bit. So first, let's set the scene. Because remember, what we're trying to do in this series is, is read these stories not from our perspective or our agenda, but from John's. What's going on? What's John thinking? What's happening? So to understand this, let's set a scene. So there is this place in, in Jerusalem near this big gate, a really popular area, where all these people come to get healed. And the people who are there are are sick, Uh, they might be blind, they might be deaf, they might be paralyzed, they might be lame. There's all these different people. And keep in mind, this is a time when the belief was that if you had a problem, it was because you had sinned or because your parents had sinned. So this was not a good place to be, right? But they're all gathered around this fountain, and this story sort of centers around a superstition. And the superstition was this, that an angel once a day came and stirred this fountain, And whoever got in it first, after the angel had stirred it, would be healed. So that's what they're all thinking. So you got all these people, and their families come and drop them off, and these people are left out and left behinds. They believe they are sinners. They believe they're bad. And this is not a good... I mean, imagine this. The hygiene then wasn't great. Imagine the hygiene for these people in this... Imagine the smell. It was just a, it's just a tough place to be. And then they're all trying to get in this fountain and they're just dropped off there. And, and you got a paralyzed person trying to get in a fountain. If they had gotten in, I mean, I, would that have been good? I mean, you know, the, I don't, what would they have done? How, how would they move? I mean, there's, there's a lot of going on here, right? And so this is the scene. This was not a place where good Jewish people wanted to go because this was a fountain of unclean. And so that, that's what's going on, this place where no good Jewish person goes. And so what does Jesus do? He goes there. So Jesus walks into this place. He's walking around. It says there's a whole bunch of people. Jesus 
steps around. He gets this one guy. And he says, you want to get better? The guy says, yeah, for sure. She said, all right, pick up your mat and walk. And Jesus heals the guy. And that's the story, right? And that, 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 that's what happens here. And I know that's what happened because the title of the story was Jesus heals a lame man by a fountain. And that's what happens. And so it's easy, it's easy to read these stories as though they're just sort of disconnected random miracles. As though John is just saying this miracle and that miracle. But I, I don't think these are just disconnected random miracles that John is writing about. Because John has an agenda, and I think you guys will have this memorized by the time we're done. John 20, verse 30, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which I didn't write about. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. So John says, he did a lot of really cool stuff. I didn't write about all of it. The things I wrote about, I wrote because I want you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and by believing that, you will have life. And so John has an agenda for writing about this miracle. It's almost as if John thinks there's more going on than just what's happening in the story. See, John believes these miracles are signs. And you know, a sign is something that points to something else. A sign is something that tells you about something else. And so the sign itself might be cool, might be neat, but typically what the sign points to is more important than the actual sign. For instance, have you guys ever seen the sign that says falling rock? That's important. Guess what's more important? The falling rock. That's more important. That sign is not going to fall on your truck and end your vacation. The falling rock might. So the sign is cool, but what the sign points to is far more important than the sign itself. And John wants us to see this, that these signs, they actually point to something greater than the sign itself. And, and do y'all know where the first sign, this isn't the first sign in the book of John. Does anyone know what the first sign Jesus does in the book of John? The very first one. Excuse me. A little more passion. Water to wine. Good job. That's the one. Water to wine. Water to wine. That's the very first sign that, that Jesus performs. And it says it was amazing. Let's read it. John 2. If you got your Bible, go to John 2. John 2, verse 9. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't know where it would come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, hey, everyone brings out their choice wine first and then cheaper wine as the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. All right, so G Jesus goes to this wedding. They run out of wine. He changes water into wine. And he doesn't make cheap wine. This isn't Boone's Farm. This isn't, this isn't that. Don't act like y'all don't know. <laughs> oh, what's he talking about? I have no idea. Don't do that to me. Right, this, this isn't Strawberry Hill we're talking about. He made the best wine they'd ever had. And he did it at the last. So there's something going on here. And I feel like there's John wants, and then John jumps back into narrator mode in verse 11 and says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs by which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So John steps in the story and says, hey, there's this wedding and Jesus changes water into wine. It's the best wine. And he didn't save the best for last, which is what people would normally do. I mean, they would serve you bad wine at the end of the night, right? Because you would drink the good wine first, and then, then the bad wine probably tasted good. And so he's like, Jesus didn't do that. He, he gave you the best last. And he made this amazing thing, but then John steps out of the story and says, guys, notice this. This is a sign. 
He, he wants you to stop just thinking about the miracle. And he wants you, it's pointing to something. He's saying, falling rock, beware, falling rock. Look, this is cool, but what it's pointing to might be even better. See, because John knew something. John had a perspective that went beyond that moment. John was a good Jewish boy, and so he knew the Old Testament. That's all. He, he knew the writings. And so when John saw this miracle, this changing water into wine, he connected it with something else from Isaiah 25. Guys, this is cool right here. Isaiah 25. We'll start in verse uh, 6, I think. On this mountainside, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wine. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheath that covers all nations. What was the shroud that, en that, that engulfed all people in the sheath that covered all nations? It was sin. Sin was what he's talking about. He said, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe every tear from the faces. He will remove his people's disgrace, sin. The Lord has spoken. So John, when, when he, he, he sees Jesus, he does three years with him. Jesus dies, resurrects. John goes back and writes about this time when Jesus turned water into wine. And when Jesus is writing about that, he's thinking about this passage from Isaiah. And he's remembering this, this moment where God promised on a mountain, on a hill, he would give his finest and his finest would remove the stain of sin from the whole. Can y'all see what John is connecting this with? He's connecting this with Jesus. And John is understanding that when Jesus is turning water into wine, Jesus is the finest of the wines. That Jesus is that which would restore all people. That Jesus is that which would remove the stain of sin from you. That Jesus is God's best and God saved his best for last. And John is connecting these dots. And so was it cool that he turned water into wine? Yeah, that's a cool trick. What it points to is far cooler than the miracle itself points to the fact that Jesus was the promise from Isaiah fulfilled in the flesh. And John knows that, that God gave his best for last. And then we see in John 4, 54, John is, is writing again. He says, this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So he steps back into narrator mode and says, this is the second sign. If John has said this is the first sign and this is the second sign, what do you think John's wanting you to do with the signs? I'll give you a hint. One, two, three. That's the count from Sesame Street. That was really good. Yeah. Um, he's wanting you to count the signs. One, two, three. Remember I said that? He wants you to count them. And so he's, he's, John is like, hold on, guys, I want you to pay attention. I want you to make a mental note. Every time you see one of these signs, I want you to count them. And does anyone want to guess how many signs are in the book of John? What's the most Bible number you've ever heard of? Seven. Come on now. Seven. This is crazy. All right, so what John's wanting you to notice, he wants you to count the signs. He wants you to stop. He wants you to slow down when you're reading about these miracles. Pay attention and think what's going on behind the scenes. So let's jump back into our story for today, okay? John 5, verse 6. And we're going to see some things that I think are, are pretty cool here. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid said, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. 
While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in ahead of me. Then Jesus says to him, pick up your mat and walk. Okay, if you were here last week, I hope you're about to make a connection. What is the man trying to get to? Water. What was the woman trying to get to at the well last week? Water. Because they think this worldly water is exactly what they need. And so here's a man who believes that if I can only get to the water, I will have everything I need. And Jesus steps into this scene and says, oh, that water? No, that won't satisfy. Here's what you need, the water of life. Because he says, do you want to get well? Because the inference is that water won't do it. That thing of the world, that promise, that superstition, that, that won't make you well. What will make you well is God's finest. And so it's, he's connecting the water again. It's over and over we see this. John 5, 16. Then this is cool too. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. All right, so Jesus has done this healing on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was a law. Uh, the Jewish people protected it. You could not heal on the Sabbath. You could not pick up your mat and walk on the Sabbath. I'm not sure exactly what you could do on the Sabbath, but there's a whole lot of things you couldn't do. All right? And so Jesus does his healing on the Sabbath. Everybody is mad at him now. It's almost though as though Jesus believes that lives can actually be changed on the Sabbath, which I think is important for those of us in this room today. Something else happens in verse, in verse 17. G Jesus begins to defend himself. They're going after him. In verse 17, it says, In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, so I too am working. Okay, guys, they are mad at him for healing on the Sabbath. So in his defense, he says, well, in my defense, God is my dad, and I'm healing on the day that my God, that my dad is healing. Wrong thing to say. Wrong. They, they did not want you to say that God was your dad and you were the son of God. So in his defense, he's now taken a shovel and digged his hole just a little, little deeper, Right? I mean, now, now everybody's angry. The people who weren't angry about his healer are now super mad because now he said, God is my father, and he just keeps going. And why does John want you to hear this? Why does John want to pull this out that, that John says, that Jesus says, God is my father? Because John has an agenda. And the agenda is that you would believe Jesus is the Messiah and that believing that you would have life. And so John just keeps pointing us back to these signs, signs about the water. Signs about the Sabbath, signs about who Jesus is, but everything is pointing to something greater. And so Jesus defends himself again in verse 18, and this is where God, this is where it all breaks down for Jesus on his journey. Things have been going pretty good. The Pharisees didn't like him, but they really didn't want to kill him. And then this, verse 18. For this reason, they tried all the more to get him, to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his father, making himself equal with God. And Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing, because whatever the father does, the son does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these. And you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even more so the son gives life to those whom he is pleased with. 
Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Father does not honor the Son. He said, whoever does not honor me doesn't honor God. And at this, they're like, no, now you're dead. I mean, Jesus, now the disciples are kind of going, this is like me when one of my friends in high school got in a fight. Slowly kind of go the other. I mean, they're like, no, this has gotten really, really, really bad. Because now Jesus has not only said he's the son of God, he has said, I am the one who holds all judgment. I am the one who gives life. Like he has made himself equal with God. It's almost as if Jesus has this relationship where he's one with the father while still being distinct from the father. See what John is doing? He's the son and he's God. He's one with God. John is coming back to this because he doesn't want you to miss this. And I think it's gorgeous. And I think, I think what John wants us to catch here, and I think the big picture, and we're going to hit on this again next week, so I hope you come back because next week's like part two, and we're going to do some fun different things with your seat. So um, that's going to be really interesting. But I, I think what we need to see today is what the sign points to is always more important than the sign. And I think, I think we get caught up. Uh, guys, I want to see physical healings. Would love to. Matter of fact, anytime God wants to do that, I'm game. Uh, and I believe he can, and I believe he does. I believe God has the full authority to heal whatever, whenever, however he wants to, because he's God. Um, but as I read this story, something interesting jumped out at me. And it was really this morning when I reread it. And, and it says this. It says, uh, I don't have this on the screen. It says here, it was in the verse, chapter 5. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. So there's a great number of people there who are disabled when Jesus goes into this scene. And Jesus has to step over some and move around some. And, and I can't help but think that every single paralyzed person there wanted to walk again. I think every single blind person there wanted to see again. I think every single heartbroken outcast at that, at that place, at, the, at that fountain, I think they wanted a second chance at life. But Jesus didn't give them all that. And said he found one and used that one as a sign to show the many. But what I believe John is trying to tell us is every person who has ever been in the presence of Jesus, whether Jesus performed a sign for them or not, they were blessed. Not because Jesus did something for them, but because Jesus was with them. That the presence of Christ is enough, even if you don't get that healing or that sign or that miracle. And there are moments when I don't know why God chooses what he chooses. I, I have no idea. But there are moments when he intervenes and says, look, look, I'm God. But God is still good when that healing doesn't come. And God is still good when that baby isn't there. And God is still good when that job doesn't come through. And God is still good when it's dark outside and when the storms are there and the tornadoes. God is good all the time because goodness is who he is, not just what he does. And God gave us everything we ever needed 2,000 years ago when he died and resurrected. And if he doesn't do one more thing for you, he's still good. He's still good. We got to get this. We love him because of who he is, not because of what he does. Guys, I, I hope God gives you what you ask for. I mean, I, I want that. Unless you ask for God to put a curse on me, or I don't know. But I want God to give you great things, all of us. But God is still God if you have nothing. 
And, and the church, I think, is, has sent this message out that basically says, if you have enough faith, God will give you anything you ask for. Matter of fact, I've seen televangelists say that. If you send $50 a day and you'll have $10,000, you might not. Send $50. God, you might give the biggest offering of your life today, this morning. And that's a fine thing to do. No one's going to stop you. And then you might walk outside and get hit by a meteor. God is still good. God is still good. We love him because of who he is. We get to spend this life and forever in the presence of the king. And that is sufficient and worthy of praise. So don't, don't, don't base your idea on God's goodness of I didn't, but they did, or I want, but they've got. No, no. God is good even when you don't. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.